Go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38. <clears throat> the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38. This is our second week with Jeremiah. Week one with Jeremiah was called Jeremiah, a bold witness. Week two with Jeremiah is called Jeremiah, a battered witness. A battered witness. He's speaking God's truth. Things don't go so well because of it. I have one question for you this morning. It's a simple question. It's a question that you ask yourself over and over and over again. It's a question that you will ask yourself till the day that you go on to glory. The question is this. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? When the moment arrives and you have a chance to represent what you believe in, even though you know what will come, if you do speak, are you willing to suffer for Christ? The year was 1945. The country was Romania, where a man by the name of Richard Wormbrand was about to have the moment of his life. He didn't even know it. It was a year after the communists had seized power in Romania. The government had invited all the religious leaders to attend a congress at the parliament building. There were over 4,000 clergy in attendance. First order of business, they chose Joseph Stalin as honorary president of the congress. Then the speeches began. One by one, the priests and pastors of Romania stood and offered words of praise for communism and declared their loyalty to the new regime. It was absurd. It was horrible. Communism was dedicated to the destruction of religion, as had already been shown in Russia in the mass execution of those who believed in God or taught on his behalf. Yet bishops and pastors arose and declared that communism and Christianity were fundamentally the same and could coexist. Out of fear, these men were filling the air with flattery and with lies, one after another. It was as if they spat in Jesus' face. Sabina Wormbrand could stand it no longer. She turned and whispered to her husband, Richard, stand up and wash away this shame from the face of Christ. Richard knew what would happen and he said to her, If I speak, you will lose your husband. Sabina replied, I do not wish to have a coward for a husband. Pastor Wormbrand took the stage. To everyone's surprise, he began to preach. Immediately, a great silence fell on the hall. Delegates, he said, as his message was broadcast around the world live. It is our duty not to praise earthly powers that come and go, but to glorify God the Creator and Christ the Savior who died for us on the cross. A communist official immediately jumped to his feet. The whole country was hearing the message of Christ proclaimed. He screamed, your right to speak is withdrawn. Wormbrand ignored him and went on. The audience began to applaud. He was saying what they had all wanted to say but were afraid to. The official bellowed, cut that microphone. The crowd shouted, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor. They chanted. The shouting and clapping went on long after the microphone wires were severed and Wormbrand had stepped down. The Congress was ended for that day. But on Sunday, a few years later, on a Sunday as he was on his way to church, he was kidnapped by a small group of secret police. He was led to a prison 30 feet beneath the earth where he was kept in prison. He was in jail for 15 years, tortured horribly beyond 
comprehension. Why? Because in a moment where he had an opportunity to speak or to stay quiet, he made the choice to speak. Eventually he would get out. Eventually he would testify before Congress of the atrocities of what was going on in Romania. Eventually he would start an organization that is called the Voice of the Martyrs. And it is now an international organization that supports the persecuted church and raises awareness of what's going on in the church around the world. That moment led to an impact around the world that he could have never possibly understood. And you... We'll have moments like that. You'll have them this week. You'll have them next week. You'll have them next month. The stakes won't be what they were for him. The setting won't be what it was for him. But what you feel will be identical to what he felt. And the choice you make will be identical to the choice he made. It just is a simple question when that moment comes, and it will. Will I suffer for Christ? Will I speak and will I suffer? Praise the Lord that in the Harvest Bible Fellowship, we today have five churches in Romania. Lauren and I, with an elder and his wife, are going to Romania in July to help a team get the gospel going around that land. Richard knew nothing of that when he spoke, what would come to his land, what God would do in his land. He just knew, I have to do something right now. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for your faith? Are you prepared to be a joke? Are you prepared to be an outdated bigot, a narrow-minded fanatic, a holier-than-thou annoyance? Are you willing? Let's pray, and then Jeremiah will give us an example of what it looks like to suffer for Christ, what it feels like, how we can learn from him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we believe that you have called us not just to enjoy the Christian life, but to share the Christian message with those around us. These are called the last days. You have said the time is short. The Bible says that you will return soon. So Father, help us to understand the place that you have assigned us to in this world. Help us to assign the message you have given us and help us to find courage to represent you. We pray that we would learn from Jeremiah's story. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Jeremiah 38. Are you there? Jeremiah 38, verse 1. It says this, Now Shephatiah, the son of Matin, Gedaliah, the son of Pasher, Jukal, the son of Shalemiah, and Pasher, the son of Malchiah. It took me like an hour to practice that verse right there. I hope you appreciate that. Heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. So these are the officials of the king, and they're all listening, and Jeremiah's like preaching, and they're all listening. And thus says the Lord, Jeremiah said, He who stays in the city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, the city shall be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. Then the officials said to the king, Let this man be put to death, for he is weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in this city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. King Zedekiah said, Behold, he is in your hands, for the king can do nothing against you. 
What's going on here? Okay, a little background. Last week, Jehoiakim was the king when Jeremiah was put on trial. Remember that? Mob trial. They want to put him to death. Okay, but he got, he got off last week. That was Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim's son now is Zedekiah. Zedekiah was made king at age 21. He has the distinction of being, listen, the last king of Israel in the entire Old Testament. What would it be like if you were the president of the United States and, and your legacy was you were the last president of the United States? And on your watch, in your administration, the entire country was toppled, the whole capital was burnt to the ground, people were deported across the entire globe, and there simply was no more United States of America once your rule was over. Well, hey, that's Zedekiah. On his watch, the nation would be thrown out of the promised land into exile. Why? Why? God doesn't keep us wondering. It's because God made a covenant with the people, the Mosaic Covenant. If you keep the Ten Commandments, if you keep the law, I will bless you and I will keep you in this land. If you violate it, I will hurl you to the ends of the earth to show that you can't break my law and prosper in the promised land. God's patience had run out. It was to this country at this time that Jeremiah had to deliver this news. And here's his message. Here's his message. The only hope all of you have of surviving is come out with your hands up. Surrender to the Babylonians. Surrender the Chaldeans. It's synonymous saying, people, put your hands up. Leave the city as a prisoner of war. You will live. Stay in this city. You will die. Thus says the Lord. That's a hard message to deliver. And so, of course, these big, tough, burly military generals and leaders and commanders and these wise political officials look at Jeremiah and they're like, Hey! Hey, Benedict Arnold, quit telling the people to trade sides. Just, just stop talking. And so first the persecution was, it was shut him down. Cut the microphone cable. Stop talking. In fact, you're doing harm to these people. You're not doing them any good. Jeremiah was first persecuted in that way. Jot this down. Here's the first thing we see. Hey, share your faith even if you suffer persecution. Share your faith even if you suffer persecution. Do you know when you tell other people your faith, you're going to hear this same voice? Hey, listen, just stop. Who are you to share what you believe with them? What you're doing is not doing them any good. It's your thing. It's not their thing. Just stop. In other words, the person who tells you that believes that the truth God has revealed to us from heaven has boundaries of authority. It applies up to a certain boundary, but it doesn't go past those boundaries. Well, guess who's drawing those boundary lines? That person who's telling you to stop talking. And on what authority do they get to draw the limit to God's truth? On what authority do they say it's yours, not theirs? They're basically claiming the authority of God for themselves to determine what truth applies to how many people. Here they were trying to shut down Jeremiah, saying what you're doing is not helping, it's hurting. Babylon was the emerging superpower of the day. You need to know a little about them. Their king was Nebuchadnezzar. Here's a picture of the map. Here's like the landscape of the ancient world. Just to get your bearings, you see over there on the left by the Mediterranean Sea is Jerusalem next to Canaan. And then if you look all the way up to the north, you see, or northeast, you see Nineveh and Assyria. 
In 722 BC, the Assyrians came. That's why Jonah went to Nineveh to try and get them to repent. But eventually they came against the Israelites in 722 BC and they conquered the northern kingdom. They took the inhabitants of the northern kingdom to exile. Okay? Then a new superpower, Babylon, you can see that straight east of Jerusalem, Babylon, and you see Chaldea, the Chaldeans, they're pretty much synonymous there. Then Babylon rose up as the superpower and started toppling all the nations that it, that it could. Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and he was pretty much undefeated in, in battle. He, could just, he came to rule the entire known world. Babylon was rising up, and Babylon was coming against Jerusalem. And Jeremiah said, surrender, come out with your hands up, or you will be destroyed. What you're saying is hurting the people. No, what I'm saying is saving the people. No, you're harming them. No, I'm saving them. No, you're you're making them uncomfortable. No, I'm sparing them the discomfort of the destruction that is coming. So what do they do? Well, reading on in verse 6, it says, So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. There was no water in the cistern, but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. You can't kill him publicly because there'd be some people who are on his side. Let's kill him secretly. Let's kill him slowly. Let's humiliate him. Let's put him in a well. Let's cover it up and let's just let him starve or sink to death. This was cowardly, this was filthy, this was disgraceful, this was an awful way to die. This was the most perilous day of Jeremiah's life. Hey, it can't get any worse than living in a besieged city that has no food and having the most powerful people of the city against you and then having them put you in the bottom of a well with no water in the middle of the city. You've had bad days. Your bad days haven't been as bad as Jeremiah's bad day. We've got a picture of a, a few cisterns from the area here. Here's what they look like. It'd be the equivalent of the people who want to kill you just instead lowering you down into that hole. Any of you claustrophobic? Down you go. This is kind of what it would look like as he went down, and uh, they had no intention of ever lifting him back up. Uh, maybe after the siege they would find him. Um, but there he would die in the bottom of a muddy hole. Jeremiah spoke, he shared his faith, and he suffered persecution. And listen, I want to be honest with you. I want to be honest with you about the life God has planned for you, okay? Can I be an honest pastor with you? Can I do that? See, because some preachers will stand up and will say, if you follow the Lord by faith, all your dreams will come true. You'll leave your house in the morning and a rainbow will appear over you. The birds will start to sing on your way to the car. There'll be a bouquet of flowers waiting just for you, handpicked from heaven. You'll get to work and all of your co-workers will simply say, you're the most amazing person they've ever known. Your boss will give you a raise a day if you walk by faith. Okay, listen, I'm here to tell you that God does not have a life of leisure planned for you. All right? In fact, God is determined to painfully, rudely disrupt your pursuit of leisure in this world. This world is not your home. Understand? This world is not your home. The moment you set your sights for leisure, God will painfully disrupt your pursuit of leisure in this life. I read an article recently about the world's least relaxing beach. You still making your vacation plans? You heard me right. You could go in St. Martin to the world's least relaxing beach. Check it out. 
one of the, what makes this the world's least relaxing beach is they put an airport right next to the beach. They have to have a danger sign as you're approaching the beach because if you get too close to the airport, extreme bodily harm and or death could befall you. Check out this next picture. The airplanes <laughs> have to drop. Like the fence is right behind this picture. So they have to drop to their landing altitude and fly right over this beach while people are trying to relax. Here's another picture. Look out, I picked the wrong place to put my beach towel. <laughs> Grab my stuff, it's flying away. Hold the kids. What's going on? <laughs> we picked the wrong spot. This is the world's least relaxing beach on the planet. Hey, if you think the Christian life is supposed to become a relaxing beach, guess what? God's going to park an airport right next to your life. And it, all of your stuff's going to go flying around. Jesus did not say, take up your crossword puzzle and follow me. Which leaves you with the question, are you willing to suffer in this world for Christ? Jeremiah was. What, what did he suffer? Well, Jeremiah suffered humiliation. He was accused of treason in supporting the enemies of Israel. You're on their side. You're one of them. He suffered physical harm. He was beaten by officials who were enraged by him. He suffered imprisonment. He was thrown in a dungeon for many days in the previous chapter. He suffered starvation as he was now thrown in the cistern dungeon. He was deprived of food. He suffered. And the question is, are you willing to be treated like this? Are you willing to be humiliated like this? Are you willing to be disgraced like this? When the teacher says, oh, you still believe that stuff? When a family member says, just stop. I've heard it a thousand times. I don't want to hear it again. When a spouse who doesn't share your faith sighs again at you. If your parents don't share your faith and they say, this is not the way we raised you. It's, wherever it comes from, if your friends are like, oh, you're not going to do that either. Are you willing to suffer Maybe social persecution first for your faith. Share your faith even if you suffer persecution. One of our elders last week didn't know it, but he woke up in the morning and he was going to have a tremendous opportunity to reach out to some people who don't share his faith. There was a, there was a church group who had a gathering in the city of Chicago at a park right across the street from our elder's house. And the gathering was a, a prayer service that was supposed to promote the view, the traditional view of marriage. So they're having a prayer and praise service and a testimony service trying to promote, a little rally, to promote the traditional view of marriage. Well, there was a gay rights group that gathered to um, basically disrupt this meeting, and they gathered on our elders' front lawn. So they had the rainbow flags out, they had the signs, they had the megaphones, and they, he looks out his window and he sees this. And they get on the bullhorn and they start shouting at this other group that's praying and and test, you know, worshiping and stuff. And so he's like, I got to do something. What do I do? I don't know. I got to go out. And then one of the guys gets on the, the bullhorn and he says, God has never said anything against homosexuality. And he's like, oh boy, I got to go down there and talk to them. 
So he has the courage enough to get out of his house and go down there. He's just going to start having conversation with them. Right? How you doing today? I, I own the house. You're on my front lawn. Uh, I thought maybe we could talk about this and have a guy. Okay. Well, they started talking. Well, they didn't really want to talk. So they ended up swearing at him and giving him the middle finger. Okay? And, and he went back in his house. You see, but he saw an opportunity to like lovingly try and strike up a conversation here. All right? They didn't want to have anything of it. They had a different agenda that morning. Um, but you're not going to know when the opportunities to witness are going to come. You're not going to know. Um, but are you willing to share your faith even if you suffer persecution? Are you willing to leave your leisure behind? Because when Jesus said, take up your cross, he meant not the gold-plated thing you wear around your neck. He meant the torture device, the bloody instrument of torture and death. He said, put one of those on your back and let's get going. Share your faith even if you suffer persecution. Here's the second point. And then endure persecution patiently. And then endure persecution patiently. Jeremiah just sitting there stuck in the mud is such a good example to us. You see, because there's going to be a crisis moment where you're like, all right, am I going to share the truth or am I not? Am I going to say something or am I not? And then you get all your courage up and then you're like, okay, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, and then you say it. And then comes the second challenge. After you've gently, lovingly, respectfully said what you believe is true, right? Then you just got to take what comes to you. Can't fight back. Can't be like, oh no, well you're, the, you know, we're not going to get into this. You got to just be able to take whatever comes at you from whoever. And Jeremiah's just sitting there in the mud and he's just taking it. He's not, you know, cursing. Oh yeah, well, when I get back up there, you wait till God gets his hands. And he's just, he's just taking it. You see, he's enduring persecution patiently. When you're told you're intolerant, when you're told you're a know-it-all, when you're told, oh, because you're so perfect, because you figured it all out, when you're, when you're told that, you just, you just take it. I read a quote this week. This man said this, that young man who quietly holds his ground unmoved by senseless ridicule wins the secret respect of observers and makes them inwardly ashamed of their folly. That's true. And, and when the backlash comes after you've risked, then you just need to take it. Endure persecution patiently. Why? A couple of reasons here. Jot this down first, because God will bless you. God will bless you. There's a few things in the Bible where God attaches a blessing to this choice, and the chances of God delivering this blessing are 100%. One of those choices is if you're persecuted for your faith. You will be blessed. It says in Luke 6, to 23. We'll put it on the screen. Blessed are you when people say, hate you, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, listen, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. It says leap for joy. <laughs> hey, Jeremiah, God is going to bless you for this. Leap for joy, brother. This is kind of like, boy, I really feel like leaping for joy. I mean, I feel like having a little party down here in this cistern. See, you don't feel it, but you believe it by faith, right? You know, God's up in heaven like, hey, let's, let's add another 10,000 people to his welcome party when he gets up here. Make the cake bigger. 
Like there's going to be so many blessings up here when that person gets here. It's going to be unbelievable. Great is your reward in heaven. God will bless you. Here's the second point, because you will display Christ-likeness. Endure persecution patiently because you'll display Christ-likeness. You will remind people of Jesus. And what will sustain you when people are saying these nasty things against you and accusing you of all this stuff? And what will sustain you is knowing, listen, this is what Jesus went through for you. He was kicked. He was beaten. He was spit on. He was cursed at. He, he was mocked. He was flogged. Why? Not because he just wanted to be an example of being able to take abuse, because he was, he was saving you. He was suffering to save you. 1 Peter 2.21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. you got to get this. Listen, listen, get this. Jeremiah stood between the superpower of his day and his people and said, Come out with your hands up, or you will face destruction. Do you understand that you are him? Do you understand you're standing between the people in your life and eternity and you're saying you need to surrender to the Lord or you're facing eternal destruction and exile from God's presence for all eternity. You're Jeremiah. You're trying to save people from the destruction that's coming. And like Christ, when he went to the cross, suffering at the hands of those he was trying to save and forgive, you are suffering at the hands of those who you are trying to get saved and forgiven. Well, Jeremiah was sitting in the mud, nowhere to go, wondering if this was the end. And then look at verse 7. Let's see how this story plays out. In verse 7, it says, When Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, a eunuch who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern, the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went from the king's house and said to the king, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in, the, in all that they did to Jeremiah the prophet by casting him into the cistern. He will die there of hunger, for there is no bread left in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, take 30 men with you from here and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. So Ebed-Melech took the men with him, went to the house of the king, to a wardrobe in the storehouse, took from there old rags and worn-out clothes, which he had let down to Jeremiah in the cistern by ropes. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, put the rags... And the clothes between your armpits, the ropes, and Jeremiah did so. Then they drew Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the cistern, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. A few observations here. The first one is this this Ebed Malik, he had the courage to advocate for those who shared his convictions. Okay, so when the one person leads and starts speaking up, then you're just like, okay, I'm just going to be quiet because they're going to talk, right? But no, he goes to the king with courage, and he's like, hey, this was evil. And I'm standing up against this, and you need to let him out of there. What courage that took. King could have been like, oh, yeah, well, you're going down there next. So here's another courageous role model who's willing to stand face-to-face with a king and say, you're doing evil, and it needs to stop. This led to Jeremiah being saved and brought up. And then when Jeremiah is lifted up, guess what he does? Guess what he does? We don't know how long he was in there, but as soon as he gets up to the top, guess what he does? He keeps talking. He he gets back up there and he's like, as I was saying, come out with your hands up 
Or you're going to, he probably looked like this. I found a picture of a really muddy dude. It's a really muddy dude. Imagine that guy walking into the middle of like church and being like, disaster is coming. Ow. You need to leave now or you're all going to die. He just kept talking. Which leads to the end of the story here. Jot this down. Trust God to prove you right. Trust God to prove you right. This is really big. It's not your job to prove the truth. Do you hear that? It's not your job to prove the truth. It's your job to be a faithful witness to what you've heard and seen. It's God's job to prove the truth. All Jeremiah had to be was someone who would announce the truth as a faithful messenger. It was God's job to prove that what he said was true. Well, look at chapter 39, verse 1. Let's see how this story pans out. The king doesn't listen to him. The officials don't listen to him. The army doesn't listen to him. The people don't listen to him. Chapter 39, verse 1. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and besieged it. In the eleventh year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month, a breach was made in the city. Then all the officials sat in the city. Check out verse 4. It says, When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, they fled, going out of the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls. They went toward, toward the Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. And when they had taken him, they brought him up to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah, in the land of Hamath. And he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah at Riblah before his eyes. And the king of Babylon slaughtered all the nobles of Judah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains to take him to Babylon. The Chaldeans burned the king's house and the house of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile to Babylon the rest of the people who were left in the city, those who had deserted to him and the people who remained. Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left in the land of Judah some of the poor people who owned nothing and gave them vineyards and fields at the same time. What happened to the people was exactly what Jeremiah said, God said, would happen to the people. You know what this teaches us? What's going to happen to the people in your life is going to be exactly what you tell them, God told them, will happen to them. Either a moment they leave this world, or when Christ comes back, what you tell them will happen to them. You have a responsibility of declaring it in advance. Jeremiah told them there was an earthly king coming to destroy their earthly city and Jerusalem burnt to the ground and Jeremiah saw it with his own eyes. King Zedekiah, like a coward, tried to flee in the night with those commanders who were so tough and strong, who put him in the way and they ran, cowardly ran, and they were caught. Zedekiah's kids were killed in front of his own eyes and then his eyes were put out and he was taken off in shackles to Babylon and it could have been avoided if they had listened to the word of the Lord. It says in 2 Chronicles 36, 15-16 to give us perspective here, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers 
because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. Jerusalem, the siege began in January of 588. It ended July 18, 586. It was a horrible end to the city of Jerusalem. People were starving to death, and then when the army broke in, they killed everybody that they found, and those that survived, they carted them off in chains. It was exactly as Jeremiah had declared. Now listen, you learned something here. I learned something here. Listen, listen. The trumpet is going to sound. You know that. The dead are going to be raised. You know that. Christ is going to return. Earth is going to flee from God's presence. The sky is going to be rolled up like a scroll. Everyone who's ever lived is going to be gathered in the presence of Christ. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord. The Lamb's book of life will be opened. Names will be in it and names will not be in it. And then it will be closed. And then there will be an eternal parting between the righteous and the wicked. And after that moment, there is what the Bible says, no remedy forever. You know that by faith now. You will know that by sight. And the Bible says soon. Between now and between then, you're not here for a life of leisure and luxury. You're here as an ambassador for the king to win people into the kingdom of heaven. And you have a responsibility to tell the people in your life that this is true and that it's coming regardless of what they think about it, regardless of how they respond to you. And then you leave it to God and trust Him to prove you right. Because just as Jeremiah saw that what he said came absolutely true, what you are saying will come absolutely true soon. 2 Chronicles 36.12 says about Zedekiah, He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord, the God of Israel. This was an awful ending to an awful king. This was an ending in, of a great chapter in Israel's history that started with the kingship. When Saul and then David took over the throne in such high hopes of what the nation could become. And Jeremiah was there when the city was overrun. He was there when he he saw the temple destroyed. He saw the wall thrown down. He saw the whole city as he looked over his shoulder burning to the ground. He was put in shackles and he was carted off with those who were being taken to Babylon. This was the worst moment in the history of Israel. And he told them it was coming. But is this the end of the story? Is God done with his people? Hey, if you trust God to prove you right, if you share the truth, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised at who comes to believe the truth along with you. Check out chapter 40. Chapter 40, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan and the captain of the guard had let him go from Ramah, when he took him bounded chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. The Lord has brought it about as 
and has done as he said, because you sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Put yourself in his shoes. <laughs> Jeremiah's carted off with all the people who serve. They're like burn, strip. They're, they're just like barely hanging on. And, and this, the guy who was the commander of the unit that just scorched the city is looking around. And he's like, uh, oh, you, you, you. Yeah, come. Okay, come here. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, told me to find you and to say this. The Lord your God did this as he promised because you guys sinned. All of this happened because he used us to do what he promised you would be done. In other words, you were right. Who's saying this? The captain of the guard of the enemy who just took out the city of Jerusalem is saying, you were right. I know it. You were right, by the way. Nebuchadnezzar knows it. See, he's already got Daniel in his court at this time. Ezekiel's ministering at this point. He knows it. He knows exactly what's going on. They both believe what Jeremiah's been shouting. His people don't believe it. These foreign kings and officials believe it. Hey, you're going to be surprised at who God convinces to believe what you're saying. They all think I'm a bunch of kooks. The dude who just torched the city knows that I was right. And you're going to be shocked at the person who you least expect to believe what you're saying, who says, I know that you're right, I believe it. But your job is to just let God prove it. And you're going to have to be patient. Jeremiah was vindicated. Listen to verse 4, this is great. Now behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, don't come. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it good and right to go. Do you know what he was just offered? He was just offered the sweetest retirement plan that ever got offered a person. Hey, you could come to Babylon. You could be, you know, like one of the officials. Daniel be right there with you. You know, you could, you could live it up. You could tour the world if you want. That'd be a pretty nice retirement plan, wouldn't it? What does Jeremiah say? It's remarkable. He says, you know what? No thanks. There's, there's still some people here and... They're going to need me to, you know, shepherd them, and I'm going to stay here with them. He could have retired. He could have been done with this. But instead, he chose to continue to be a witness to these people. You know what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to run in cowardly fear. They're going to run to Egypt thinking they'll be saved. They're going to drag Jeremiah with him. He's probably going to die there. And then Nebuchadnezzar is going to come down and annihilate Egypt too. That's what he chose for his retirement. He chose to suffer for what he believed because he knew God was calling him to be a messenger. Well, here the city is reduced to ashes. Everything that Jeremiah predicted came true. What does this mean? What does this mean? The promises that God made, we've been following them throughout the Old Testament. The promise in Eden that the head of the snake would be crushed. What? The promise is made to Abraham that a blessing would, would reach the ends of the earth through an offspring of Abraham. The promise made to David that there would be a ruler sitting on his throne forever. I have all these promises now burnt to the ground. Is there any hope? Your salvation is on the line here. There's no temple. There's no city. How on earth can your Savior come? Check out this picture. The people of Israel were sent First in 700 B.C. up to Assyria now in 586. They're sent over to Babylon. They're spread all over the, the rest of them ran to Egypt. 
There's not going to be any Messiah. There's not going to be any temple. There's not going to be any. How is God going to make this right? Well, we're going to see in the weeks ahead. We're going to spend a week with Daniel. We'll see how God was moving all the nations at this time to fulfill his plan. Then we'll talk about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Then we'll have Father's Day, and then we'll spend a week with Esther, seeing how this queen saved all the Jews from annihilation. Then we'll spend four weeks with Nehemiah, learning how God restored the nation. But we're going to close with Hebrews eleven thirty-five to 40. We'll put it on the screen. Hebrews has been the text we've been using to make our way through the Old Testament. And let's just hear here at the end what God wants us to get from the stories of the prophets that we've been hearing. We started with Elijah, now Jeremiah, and then we'll go on to Daniel and says this, women receive back their dead by resurrection. Okay, who is that? That's Elijah, right? Bringing back the dead to life. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All these, though commended for their faith, through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. They didn't get to see it. They didn't get to see the coming of the Messiah. They didn't get to see the keeping of the promise to David and Abraham. But we're going to learn over the next several weeks how God got the nation back, as he promised, to a place of restoration and got the world ready for Christ to come. The last thing I want to do is challenge you with the same challenge I gave you last week. Since you are understanding that God wants you to be his messenger, to reach out with this truth, to share the good news of the gospel with others, I've challenged you to pick the names of three people in your life. Three people. Family members, co-workers, neighbors, friends. Three people you feel like, you know what, I I just got to do something. I just got to reach out to them. I just got to invite them to church. I just got to get coffee with them. I just, there's just something in my heart that's saying I need to be the one to bring the truth to them in some gentle, humble way. I want you right now to take a moment, and if you haven't already done it, write those three names down again on your bulletin. Write them down. And then close your eyes and pray that God will give you an opportunity to share the truth with these people in the weeks ahead. Go ahead and write those three names down. And then go ahead and close your eyes and pray for these people by name right now.
an encouragement Jeremiah is to us, Father. He was willing to suffer. He would have died if you asked that of him, but he was willing to suffer for you. And he was willing to endure persecution to take whatever you allowed to come upon him. He was silent as a lamb before the shearers is silent, so he was, just as Jesus was silent before his accusers. Lord, that doesn't come naturally. And so we just ask for courage. We just ask for resolve. We just ask for humility. We ask for opportunities to be a light in this world. Lord, we ask you to remind us that compared to eternity, we have such a short amount of time left here. This is not our home. This is not our heaven. This is our mission field. Remind us that every day. And I pray for all these names that are written down on bulletins. These are people precious to you, created by you. These are people who fall within your jurisdiction. Your truth is binding on every one of them. So we pray that you would give us opportunities to share with them the good news of salvation from destruction. Lord, show us that you can use us. We can't save anyone, but you can use us to save people who we never would have thought possible. Pray that you would use us, Lord, in the weeks ahead. Continue to do glorious things in our presence. And we wait with eager expectation for the great and blessed day when you will return. We pray all of this in Jesus' name.